The name of our podcast, Techsequences, is really a mashup of two words, technology and consequences. We are fascinated by the consequences, intended or unintended, of the internet and related technologies for the way we live, play, and work. We are your hosts, Leslie Daigle and Alexa Rod. We started our careers at the dawn of the internet and have been friends, colleagues, and comrades in arms for the better part of 20 years. In this podcast, we examine the impact internet-related technologies have made or may make in our lives. I'm Alexa Rod. And I'm Leslie Nagel. Welcome to Sequences. There is no doubt that media news outlets are facing an existential crisis. Rising costs and declining revenues have led to the demise of many. Overall, a quarter of the newspapers in the United States, or about 2,200, have closed since 2005. And the country is set to lose one-third of the remaining newspapers by 2025. That, by the way, corresponds to the loss of two newspapers a week. Internationally, the outlook is much the same, as news outlets look to reduce costs to stay afloat. However, the pressure on news outlets, and by extension journalism, is not just economic, but also technical. Advances in AI and large language models pose both opportunities as well as existential risks for media and journalism in general. Consider, for example, the following. On June 21 of this year, The Guardian and other media news outlets reported that The Build, Germany's most widely read tabloid, was planning on cutting a third of its 600 jobs and replacing them with AI. One of the sources for the story was an internal email from the group's chief editor saying, quote, the functions of editor-in-chief, layout artist, proofreader, publisher, and photo editor will no longer exist in the future as we know them today, end quote. The Axel Springer Media Group, the parent company for Build, was quick to deny the report, saying instead that they are simply considering AI in the production processes of the editorial offices. To be fair, one can easily imagine AI's utility for back-office tasks such as transcribing interviews, subtitling videos, recommending content, and analyzing audience trends. For investigative journalists, AI can be an enormous help for data analysis and pattern recognition. For example, when it comes to digging through a trove of documents, such as the Panama Papers, AI can serve as a helpful tool to construct a cohesive narrative, bolstered with a myriad of data points. But AI is also increasingly being used to generate content. According to Forbes, BuzzFeed, a digital media company, plans to use ChatGPT's OpenAI to generate quizzes as well as specific content. BuzzFeed has already published over 40 travel guides with the help of AI. The issue is more than the question of the use of AI by media companies. It is also the use of content by AI companies. Consider the latest lawsuit by Getty Images against Stability AI, creators of the popular AI art tool Stable Diffusion over alleged copyright violation. Getty has accused Stability AI of using more than 12 million Getty photos without permission or compensation. And Getty is not alone. Over 8,000 authors have demanded payment from AI companies for use of copyrighted works in training and use of generative AI models. Aside from financial risks, Critics warn that use of AI in media and journalism could create and amplify misinformation, disinformation, as well as promote bias. We are on the cusp of another major technical revolution, 
one which will create big winners as well as losers. It is clear that if we are to set guardrails for the use of AI, the time is now. But the question remains what and how. Our guest today is Dr. Courtney C. Raj. Courtney is a journalist, scholar, and advocate focused on the intersection of technology, media, and rights. She is the director of the Center for Journalism and Liberty at the Open Markets Institute. In this role, she produces and oversees cutting-edge research into news media market structures and helps design policy solutions to protect journalism's financial and editorial independence. Previously, she was a fellow at UCLA's Institute for Technology, Law, and Policy, where her research focused on media sustainability and the platformization of journalism, AI governance and information ecosystems, and the evolving socioeconomic and techno-political effects of media and technology. She is the author of Cyber Activism and Citizen Journalism in Egypt, Digital Dissidents and Political Change. Courtney regularly provides expert commentary in the media, including CNN, Al Jazeera, NPR, and other global media outlets. She has led media assessments and advocacy missions to more than a dozen countries and has provided testimony to Congress, the EU, OSCE, OECD, and the United Nations. Courtney is also a strategic advisor to leading human rights and media freedom organizations and previously led advocacy and communications at the Committee to Protect Journalists' Freedom of Expression work in the Arab region at UNESCO and worked as a journalist in the U.S. and Middle East. She holds a Ph.D. in international relations from American University, an M.S. from Georgetown University, and a B.A. from the University of California, Berkeley. Welcome, Courtney. Thank you so much. Pleasure to be here. So, Alexa laid out a few examples of open questions in terms of the use of AI in media and journalism. Um, are there others that you think we should highlight? I think that AI is going to transform journalism in pretty profound ways, um, as it will many sectors. And I think we also need to look at, you know, whatever kind of some of the short term issues as well as some of the longer term issues. You highlighted the fact that AI is building its systems in part on the back of news media content, um, none of which has been compensated. And I think that if the journalism industry doesn't get this portion right, we are in for yet another bloodbath, you know, similar, but probably even worse than the transition to the social media age, when we decided to give all away all of our content for free, without realizing what the longer term impacts of that would be. I guess one of the age old critiques about technology and regulation is that technology advances always outpace any regulatory considerations. And, and assuming that's true, and given that AI is advancing so rapidly, or at least it's sort of burst into the public eye so rapidly, what do you think are the most pressing areas for attention and, and regulation to address those challenges? I think it's important that we break down artificial intelligence so that it doesn't seem to be this mysterious new thing that no one can understand because it's so complex. If we think about the components of artificial intelligence, one big component is data. Um, so we need to have better data privacy laws. We need to give individuals, but also um, the public sector, better control over their personal data and think about data ownership for data that is created through behavioral or public um, interaction. Then we need to think about computational power, which is another part of the artificial intelligence mix. Um, it 
takes tremendous amounts of computational power to run these large language models, to run these processes, whether we're talking about AI, um, whether we're talking about blockchain, et cetera. And so we should be having public policy discussions about the trade-offs in energy use, the climate impacts of these technological developments, um, and thinking about monopolization and control in the sector both data and computational power. And then we need to think about the generative aspect. And that is is the newer part, right? That is the, I think, the part that really captured everyone's attention over the past several months. And that's where we definitely, I think, need some new frameworks, both in terms of thinking about um, rights holders in the inputs to AI, the data, as well as in the outputs, the generative aspects, who owns copyright, who owns patent rights. Um, how do we think about the the content that's going to be created through these systems? Um, you mentioned misinformation and disinformation in the outset. That's certainly going to be a bigger issue. I think that um, we're going to have to figure out how to identify provenance and authenticity of information in a much more meaningful way as I think we're going to be flooded with a lot of generative content that may or may not be true or manipulated or propaganda. And so those indicators of quality, authenticity, provenance will become more prominent. Um, I think there are a lot of issues, but if we break down AI into manageable bytes, we can see where we need public policy. And um, unfortunately, in the United States, we don't have a national privacy law yet. And uh, the EU is ahead of us in this, but we still haven't caught up to how we translate meaningful privacy into the AI space when these companies are essentially going around the web and scraping content from all types um, of information, including private information, information behind paywalls, etc. So there are a lot of places that public policy actually can right now um, act on. And, and we don't need to think that we're, it's so, you know, we need to demystify this and not think that only the tech companies know how to regulate themselves. You laid out a number of different issues and, and there's a lot, uh, but the classification that you laid out was actually pretty good. So there's data and that has to do with, you know, all the data that's collected in privacy, there's computational power, um, there's generative aspects uh, and and there's also monopolies and control. Of these at least four areas, what do you think is the most important for us to address now? In other words, what is the area that if we don't address it now, we're going to see consequences that is going to be beyond our control in a few years? Oh, without a doubt, that is the dominance of a handful of companies, primarily American companies, and their monopolization of the technological ecosystem. You know, mm -hmm. we hear a lot about how there are, oh, all these new AI companies, for example, and this proves that there's competition. And actually, that's not true because AI and particularly generative AI actually trends towards monopolization because of the sheer quantity of resources needed to train these cutting edge models. The sheer quantity of data rewards scale and incentivizes companies to try and dominate the market. And you can see this in terms of the partnerships that have developed between uh, Google, Amazon, Microsoft, Meta, and these um, emerging tech companies like OpenAI, Hugging Face, Stability AI, 
So I think that if we don't um, address the concentration of power and the resources in the hands of this of these few actors, it is going to be self-reinforcing. And I think that the largest models, which are backed by the most data, the most computing power and talent, the people behind it, to produce the best results, that's only going to bolster their market power and profitability, let them control greater parts of the economy, determine what our economic system is. And of course, you know, bringing it back to journalism, it's going to further uh, platformize journalism, which means that journalism becomes, excuse me, um, journalism becomes hostage to the logic created by these technological platforms. And so I think addressing the monopoly and competition issues in the AI space is fundamental because it touches on all parts of the AI process and system. I'd like to drill down a little bit on the journalism aspect of things, because I think that, you know, I think we maybe have an understanding in the room, but but we should say explicitly the value and role of journalism as opposed to the, you know, the sharing of random bits of data on the on the internet, the value of purpose of journalism is to provide quality and factual reports of you know, the state of the world in different in different areas. I mean, I, I have phrased it inelegantly. I'm sure you can phrase it much more more uh, appropriately, but the I think the whole nub of journalism is about reporting real things. AI is about, or large language models are about saying compelling things, and these are not the same. And and just sort of using AI to drill down and and you know generate more content that people want to read that's not got that you know uh, that you were mentioning earlier the the being able to know where stuff legitimately comes from being able to, today we talk about fact checking you know you're you're pointing out we need to be able to track provenance of things um in in all of that you know where would you like to see journalism be say in 5 years setting aside the question of ai ai could be a tool to help it as alexa outlined ai can be can vastly undermine it where would you like journalism to be in 5 to 10 years I would love to see journal a journalistic renaissance where we saw a lot more journalism in the streets, in our local communities, out reporting and covering key institutions and organizations that make up the public sphere, whether that's, you know, the school board, the police department, the education system. Um, one of the big challenges, as you know, was laid out in the opening, is we've seen this decimation of the news industry uh as evidenced by the la- you know the decline of jobs in journalism the decline of local newspapers the rise of what we call news deserts where there are no news outlets serving those communities or um how much this affects ethnic communities and minority communities so if i you know could wave a magic wand and in 5 years see how AI has been leveraged by the by the journalism community to free up resources to increase hiring of people on the ground to do reporting, to do the investigations, um, to do the relationship building that is essential in journalism to cultivate sources and gather information, that would be ideal. Um, 
you know, that's in a in a perfect world. I don't know that we'll see that, but theoretically you could you could see that if AI is deployed in a smart um, technologically sophisticated way in newsrooms, then we might see that. But you mentioned something right now, you know, generative AI as it currently stands is really about the statistical regurgitation of words that happen to appear next to each other more often than not. However, we are seeing applications actually in newsrooms of bespoke AI products that are designed and trained on their data. So I believe it's the Financial Times has um, created their own kind of chatbot that is trained on their information. So if you ask it a question or you um, ask it to generate information, it is drawing from the FT database. We also know that the Associated Press just signed an agreement with OpenAI. Side note, not a fan of secret agreements, and I wish we had done this on a more industry level, but nonetheless, um, they've signed, you know, some sort of agreement to enable AI, uh, open AI to have access to its archives. And so I think there are these solutions with generative AI where we're not talking about the entire web, you know, these large language models that are trained on, frankly, a bunch of crap, you know, social media posts, random websites, um, but rather on this specific database of data. And the great thing about journalistic content is it's fact-checked, it's accurate, right. it's timely. Um, and if it is inaccurate, there's a correction attached. It has really valuable metadata. And so I think, again, there are like really promising applications, but we're in a very tumultuous time. And I don't think we're going to get to having an opportunity to find those exciting applications if we don't find a way to remunerate the news industry for the use of their data in these products. The statistic that I cited about, you know, 2,200 um, newspapers and two of them, you know, losing a week, those are mostly local newspapers. And you mentioned these news deserts, where as these local newspapers are drying up, cannot sustain themselves, there's these vast swaths of areas where people do not have a local newspaper outlet. Um, and correct me if I'm wrong, a lot of investigative journalism comes from the local news sources. So it's a double whammy. We lose both of them at the same time. There is a potential tendency to fill that void in by with using AI to scrape together um, user-generated content, maybe social media posts in, in lieu of that local uh, journalism. Um, and as you said, journalism has disciplines. There's fact-checking, there's, you know, making sure that your sources are credible and accurate. And if you're not factual, then you issue a correction. None of those are really inherent in some of these processes that I just talked about. So what do you think is going to happen uh, with these voids in local journalism? Is AI going to step in and is it going to use social media and you know user-generated content and out the window any kind of journalistic discipline for getting the facts straight? I mean, if that happens, then it's not journalism, right? Journalism mm -hmm. is fundamentally about reporting. It is factual, accurate timely. 
Um, you know, the thing about AI is it needs data and that data needs to be fact-checked, right? We want to make sure it's accurate data. Um, it then needs to be learned from. So that's not necessarily going to be really useful for daily reporting um, across the board. Now, there are some areas that it might be helpful, right? Um, you know, we know that news organizations have used AI for years to create auto-generated stories about financial markets or company earnings or things that are very data-based that are just reporting facts. But you know what happens if you just apply AI and you don't have a journalist looking at that? You miss the 2008 financial crisis, for example. You miss what's in the data, the stories that the data are telling. Um, you know, so much investigative reporting these days is looking at discrepancies in data, data holes, data voids. Um, <clears throat> so I think we'll have to, you know, look at specific. I, I think there will be an application of AI to some parts of reporting, but you cannot replace uh, a journalist with AI. You can't simply say, "Oh, well, we'll apply." Uh, an AI chatbot to cover the local schoolhouse meeting or, you know, the school board meeting, rather, um, you're not going to get any of the so-called color that comes with that. Okay, great. Maybe you get a transcript if they keep a transcript, but that doesn't tell you, say, how many people showed up wearing black to protest you know, gun violence or how many people stood up and, and turned their backs or or how much, you know, verbal disagreement there was. You know, you need the journalist there to observe, right? Um, AI does not observe. It simply looks at data, it finds patterns, and then it regurgitates that back to you. And that is absolutely not what journalism is. So it does concern me to hear that, you know, organizations like uh, Build, like major news news organizations like Build, or I also heard um, MSN News is, is transitioning some journalism to AI. First of all, you're always going to have to have editors. You have to have eyes to check the AI. Um, but you can't just replace journalists. There's just, I think, very little reporting um, in the local community that is going to be able to re be replaced by an AI chatbot. That said, given that we're seeing the increasing dominance of just a couple of major, um, you know, corporate owners like Gannett, um, you know, take and, and Alden taking over a lot of these local newsrooms, it is concerning because they're about cutting costs. They've already cut, you know, hundreds of journalist jobs. And I think there might be this temptation to um, deploy AI instead of an expensive journalist who needs health coverage, but that's going to come at the detriment to those organizations. It's not going to be doing journalism. And I think that the communities are going to suffer. And we know that there are is um, decreased social cohesion, increased polarization, more likely uh, to have corruption in communities that don't have local news. And it's not I would add another element, which is it's not just about news deserts where you don't have news organizations. It's also places where you only have one tiny journalistic outlet, you know, trying to hold on. And we saw this in Marion County recently where 
you know, it was an incredible thing to see uh, law enforcement raid a newsroom over a what I think a lot of people would see as a pretty minor local story. And yet, because they're on their own out in that community, and there aren't a lot of other news organizations covering that community or even the ones around it, they were kind of off by themselves. And I think that probably the the law enforcement thought that they would be able to just kind of do that without getting caught or or any of that. And so we also need to think about journalism more broadly than just the one outlet. There, There's kind of a, an ecosystem of journalism where local journalism feeds into regional journalism, feeds into national journalism. Um, and so oftentimes you'll see, for example, in one investigation at the local level, then trigger a bigger investigation by a bigger news outlet. So we need to think of this from an ecosystem perspective and really recognize that AI cannot replace reporting, observation, relationship building, which are the building blocks of journalism. And AI has no compunction, right? I mean, it's not afraid to lie. So it make a great story out of something that most of which might be true. Let's go back a little bit to the to the training side of things as well, because, you know, we've touched on a couple of times the fact that these large language models are trained by going over a lot of data from various sources. You know, the, there's the issue of the Getty lawsuit where the at issue is the fact that, you know, they, they claim that the AI was trained on Getty images and therefore, you know, producing Getty image like products. What what should we be thinking about in terms of who has the right to do what with the content found on the web and how are we going to un- untie that knot? Well, I'm glad you asked because I think this is one of the most interesting and fundamental things that we need to get figured out right. And I'm working on a policy brief, which we will be publishing along with a big paper on AI and competition and monopoly um, shortly. But basically, I think we have to really get the copyright and patent issues right with AI because it will have profound implications on the future. So when it comes to generative AI and copyright, if we think about the input into these AI systems, a lot of that has been on copyright protected work, whether it's from news publishers, um, photographers, artists, authors, content creators, etc. Um, you know, in fact, one analysis found that the copyright symbol appeared more than 200 million times in one of Google's AI models. So we know that there is a lot of copyright material in those models. And yet these are some of the wealthiest companies in the world who have claimed fair use to simply scrape all of this data. Um, And because of the lack of enforcement of existing law and the lack of clear regulatory guidelines, I think that you know, we've seen that this has been scraped from proprietary databases, from behind paywalls, from books, from news organizations, and no one has been compensated. And I think that's really problematic because these are foundation models are the basis for the next generation of our economy. Uh, and journalism and news data in particular, are valuable sources of training data for language models, these foundation models, because um, it's factual. It includes language variation, cultural awareness, complex sentence structure. It has quotes that convey real-world conversations. It summarizes and condenses. It helps improve information retrieval. So it's really valuable. 
Um, we've actually seen some analyses that show almost 10% of some major large language models are comprised of news content. But we have not yet gotten our copyright laws to catch up with that. And so my perspective is that generative AI should be um, paying the producer, the, the content creators whose work has been used in those large language models for the use of their content, just as you would if you were using it to create another commercial product. I don't think that's fair use. And if we think about the generative aspect, I don't think that we should be granting copyright to AI-created content. Um, it would be too easy, again, for the monopolists and the powerful, the existing powerful companies to simply create all of the content. You know, you could say, hey, create three and a half minute songs using the 12 scale, you know, 12 note Western scale that are likely to be commercially successful and just run, you know, they have the computational power to just run that, create all the copyright. You could do that with images, paintings, etc. So I think we have to get that really right. And similarly, and, and perhaps even more importantly with patentability, like right now you have to have a human involved to get copyright or patents, and we've got to keep that. Although there's a lot of people arguing that, you know, we don't necessarily need to have humans in the loop and we should rethink copyright and patentability. But if we do that and we grant the rights um, to generative AI, we are only going to reinforce and consolidate the power of the existing tech monopolists. Uh, what you said is actually very timely because yesterday the US. <clears throat> Copyright Office issued a notice of inquiry basically seeking public input on AI copyright questions, what people think about AI and copyright and what can and cannot be um, copyrighted. So what do you think they will hear? What do you think they will, um, the end result of that uh, exercise will be? And what should we do? How I know that you said we really shouldn't copyright, allow AI to copyright AI-generated material. But how do we compensate, um, let's say, news organizations or artists or creators, you know, photographers and whatnot, who have created content, put it on the web? This this could potentially could be a very, very complex um, system financially to figure out what was used and you know what exactly to compensate. So sorry, there's two questions in that. Yeah. And I mean, it's great to see that the Copyright Office um, has been doing these listening tours. They have been seeking public input. And I think it's really important that the news industry contribute to these. Um, it has, I feel like it's been dominated by kind of the creative industries. Um, but I think there is a growing awareness that the news industry also needs to be a very vocal part of these conversations. Um, it is incredibly complex in terms of thinking about where that line should lie and how we're going to prove it. I think that um, we need to balance between enabling people to leverage AI and use AI as they would other tools to create original works. 
Um, there was a similar debate over the camera, in fact, and whether photographs should receive copyright because, well, they're just simply a representation um, that is, you know, we're going to the mechanics of how a camera works. But there was this debate, but there was a decision that um, the photographer plays a role in composing and designing and um, potentially editing those images. So I think we need to look at you know, taking some of those lessons for generative AI. So we need to think about the balance of human ingenuity and creativity, um, machine contributed. And, you know, I, I know people don't want to think that we need a, something new in this domain, that we can always look to the past, but I think that we might need something new. And so that could include um, how long something is granted copyright, um, how that translates into the world. We also want to think about what is going to happen when a bunch of generative AI content that may or may not be accurate or representational, et cetera, is then online and then used to train the next generation of foundation models. Like we need to think through this. Um, I think we're in the process of doing that. So I don't necessarily have uh, the perfect answers, but I think that we need to take the time to make sure we get it right. And part of getting it right is to look at what our decisions will do to the concentration of power in these tech companies, particularly. Mm -hmm. One of the things I'm really afraid of is um, a lot of what we see parading as news is really opinion. Um, it's not news some of the major news channels, if you tune into them, most of the content that they present are, uh, are really opinion. And it's taking one piece of fact and saying, oh, what do you think about it? Let's see how we can speculate on it. And what, what does somebody else think about it? So these generative AI models being trained on quote news, are they being trained on these opinion pieces, which then these become clickbait. This is how the whole model works, which is advertising revenue, what gets the most attention. And typically what gets the most attention is opinion, because in opinion, there's some sort of emotional tether attached to it. It's either outrage or, or you know, being upset or um, you know, condemning something. So is it a right fear to think about what we have currently as content now and how much of it is opinion versus fact? I don't think that there is such a bright line. I think that, of course, there are objective facts, but a lot of facts are um, nonetheless conveyed through some sort of analytical lens. And I think a lot of journalism, um, opinion journalism can be valuable, but there's also a lot of opinionated you know, opining and bloviation that isn't really journalism. I don't know that the problem is AI models being trained on opinion because that will essentially be part of the training data. But, you know, lots of, you know, books, um, social media content, patents, you know, these all make up significant parts of the training data. And, Regardless of whether it's opinion or fact, there are still a lot of inherent biases 
in those. So there's been a lot of, you know, research into these AI models and what their outputs end up conveying and that um that they reinforce misogyny, um structural racism, political bias, and that is because of the data it's trained on. So you can have a factual article lots of factual articles about crime in America. That is going to be um, potentially as biased as the opinions that are created on those set of facts if we don't go a few steps back or further deeper in to assess, well, why might there be more crime? What is considered a crime? Where is this being enforced? What are the policies, et cetera? So I I I don't necessarily think that the problem is opinion journalism per se. Um, There are, regardless of the data sets that are used to build these models, there are inherent um, biases incorporated within them. So there's clearly a lot more that we could dig into here, but sadly, we are pretty much at time. And, And I asked you earlier where you would like to see journalism in five to 10 years, but Maybe uh, to to close out, you can say, what do you think will happen in this space, especially with regards to the concentration of power? Well, I do think that part of um, what will determine the next five years with respect to the news tech dynamic is what happens with these news media bargaining codes and the transposition of the EU Copyright Act, which is essentially each EU member state is in the process of adopting that copyright act um for its 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 own nas- into its own national law. And the reason I think that's important is because in 2021 Australia adopted a groundbreaking law to require that big tech pay for the news that it uses. Now that's primarily on the display side. That was pre generative AI. I mean it wasn't pre generative AI but people weren't really thinking about it. But now we've seen Uh, In Canada, in the US, in India, Brazil, South Africa, Indonesia, lots of countries are like, yes, we also want to take this approach to ensure that big tech is compensating the news industry for the content that it uses to make its platforms valuable to users, whether you're talking about Google search or the, you know, the Facebook news feed, um, Microsoft's new, you know, chat bot that uses news content to update um, historic information. You know, there are lots of uses now that we can really see and legislative efforts to require fair compensation. But we've also seen Facebook and Google shut down news in Canada, including during historic wildfires. Um, These companies that have essentially become similar to public utilities and you know Twitter for example being integrated into a lot of emergency management systems as part of the communication infrastructure so i think there's this growing recognition a that the technology companies that are benefiting from news content to make their products more valuable need to compensate them and that that must include ai companies Second, I think there's a recognition that some of these platforms are akin to public utilities or should be treated as common carriers, and that we we need to use a different framework to regulate um, these platforms and how they treat users, how they treat data, 
um, and how they address content. And so depending on how that plays out is going to determine the next five years. I think there is a movement because people recognize the crucial role that journalism plays in democracy and the crucial role that journalism plays in autocracies, because it's one of the few ways to hold anyone accountable. Um, So if we get that right, I think we might see that journalism is able to navigate and adapt to this changing environment. If we get that wrong, I think we're going to really continue to struggle to see journalism remain financially viable and sustainable in the economics uh, and in the market that has been structured in a way that creates enormous imbalances in power, um, in the lack of transparency that news organizations have into the value that they create, into you know revenue, the continued dominance of these platforms, mainly Meta, Google, and now increasingly Amazon in the digital advertising ad tech ecosystem. I do think we're seeing more um, action by competition authorities and more cases, antitrust cases being brought. We've seen this actually here, there uh, in the US and in the EU, there are antitrust investigations into the ad tech ecosystem, which are really important. So I think if we break up some of these power concentrations and we get the compensation point right, we'll see some um, benefits for journalism. If we don't, we're going to continue to see this, you know, the decline of local news, um, fewer journalism jobs. I think we'll probably see a poor application of AI. Um, but I, I want to be hopeful here because I think AI holds a lot of promise for journalism. You know, as Alex said at the beginning, freeing up a lot of the time that's used on mundane tasks like transcription, um, getting a sense of all these massive data sets, uh, you know, to try to f- figure out what is the story in there. So I think the jury is out, but how we decide our competition policy, our copyright policy, and um, how we break up concentration of power is going to have a profound impact. And so I'm hopeful that the courts and the legislators will get it right. Super important times and big questions like you. I hope we get it right. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to this TechSequences podcast. We are Leslie Daigle and Alexa Rod. You can reach us by email, techsequences at techsequences.org. We'd love to hear from you to know what you thought about this episode or ideas for future episodes. Tech Sequences. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook and subscribe through your favorite podcasting service.